Hello, everybody, and welcome to Stories That Shape Us podcast. I'm Joanna Daniel, for those who are new here. Today, I have two very special guests, as you can see, uh, uh, Andrew and Christy Bauman, and they run the Christian, Counsel Christian Counseling for Sexual Health and Trauma. We're going to have a, an amazing conversation. Welcome, Andrew and Dr. Christy. I'm just going to read read a little bit more and then you can tell us um, a little bit more about yourself and then we can start. So there are psych psychotherapists, author and authors, Dr. Christian Andrew Borman runs the Christian, now let me read it properly, Christian Counseling for Sexual Health and Trauma and pro they provide high quality experiential narrative based psychotherapy from a Christian worldview to fully engage with both heartache and glory without easy answers. I love that bit. Mm -hmm. They believe you cannot enter into liberation without gut-wrenching pain. We follow both a crucified and resurrected God. Our purpose is to walk with those who are wanting transformation and healing. Those who feel lost in their faith and are stuck in their pain and are running out of options. We work with both individual and couples. I, I feel like that. There's so much said in just that. When I read it, I'm like, whoa, <laughs> it means a lot of work happens here. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well. Well said. Yeah. We, we definitely feel like the way towards our resurrection is crucifixion, and that's kind of the only way forward is deeper into the pain and the heartache. And that's where some people fear to go. No doubt. Yes, but if you've been been touched by trauma in any way, you don't have a choice but to go to those places because resurrection is um, too easy and it's it doesn't meet you where you need it. And crucifixion is the only thing that's honest enough where you've been harmed and marked and where you've led yourself. So... Yeah, it's, it's necessary. And I think it's just so connected to the topic that we want to talk about today. When I, when I reached out to you, to you both around, I heard, I listened to this interview and I thought, well, um, I think I want to talk about this topic with both of you around intimacy and Christian couples. I, a friend called me the other day and she was like, Joe, do, do you know this? That Do you know that many people get married expecting sex and intimacy to just be, I'm paraphrasing, to just be like loyalty or um, you just, it, there's not supposed to be any, any joy or pleasure. And I said, I wonder if there's sexual trauma. And I know that when women experience, not just women, because that's mostly who I work with around sexual trauma, experience sexual trauma, then intimacy becomes a problem. What can we do to help a couple are in that position. You want to go first, or go first. I'll jump in. Yeah, the the first most yeah, important part is that we know our story. We know our story. We know our traumas. We know our traumas. We can't go in uh, to work on the marriage if you have an unhealthy self, right? Yeah. So you have to be. Uh, you have to understand your own story, your own trauma, because. Unconscious trauma, unconscious trauma. Un, un, let me say it this way, undealt with trauma, always reenacted, always reenacted in our current relationships. Our current relationships. It comes out. It does. It comes out. 
So we have to deal with it. We have to address it first individually because that shapes who we are as a company. Yes. And I would add on that we have scars. We have physical scars that you can look and see where someone's had surgery or had an injury, but we also have these emotional scars. And we can see with the brain that when our partner into the emotionally scarred body of their partner, there is intimacy and there is bonding. That is really important for really important when there's been trauma. When there's been trauma. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is our trauma will affect intimacy. And so it's important that the individual who experienced the trauma get help, do healing. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? Yes, because yeah. once we know our story, yeah. we know our scars emotionally, maybe the ones that are invisible, we can share that with our partner, with a conversation, in moments of intimacy. Um, I talk a lot about work, we talk a lot about looking at and where women have lost their breath from mastectomy and that scar tissue, some of the most intimate space for a partner to touch, bring over to. Less, kiss. There is so much potential connection in places where there are. Know those stories. Particularly yeah. the ones our bodies. Then we're able yeah. to together, and have intimacy. So that's a deep not knowing, healing, so that we can share that with with our partner in a safe in a relationship that feels safe enough to do it in, to, to share that. There's a lot of women that are afraid to share their sexual trauma story with their partners. Yeah. Yeah, they should be, right? If their husband has not shown emotional intelligence and emotional growth, he's probably not a safe person to, to hear the story. So trust that. Mm. Trust that because, yeah, you most likely will fumble your story. Uh, what I call that type of man is an unaware fool who is unaware of his own, of his own self, his own trauma, and he does harm even though he doesn't know it. He's not malicious in it, but he has not done the work to become a wise, uh, emotional, intelligent man. And so, yeah, you do have to protect it. It's a uh, it's a don't catch your pearls before time, and our stories are pearls. Vulnerable selves harm our pearls. Ooh, I love that perspective because, and I don't know if many are aware that that's why they don't share it or they're afraid to share it because it they don't feel safe enough. And mm -hmm. what is what is it? What is he going to do with my story when I tell him that this is what has happened to me? Will I be safe? Will I be held? Right. Will Will I be looked after? And and maybe they sense that that's they're not safe, and so they don't share. But it continues to impact the relationship. Totally. Yes. Totally. And trust. Yeah, I would say trust your gut on that one, right? You mm. You know if he's a safe safe man or not to tell. Yeah. And you should ask your partner to if they're not if they're an unaware but willing. 
then we ask them to educate themselves. And we ask them to read and put themselves in places where they can understand if they're being offered in our vulnerable stories. How would you how would you help a couple that has come to you sharing that story for the first time, wanting help around around intimacy? So yeah, that's a great question. So what we do normally is couples come see us almost every week. It's probably our biggest offering. Um, and we have them sit face to face. So they're 12 inches apart, right? So we always, we always probably 75% of our couples work is literally done eye to eye, face to face, because we don't want to lose the humanity of the other. And so we begin face to face and we begin connecting with our own bodies first, um, right? Taking deep breaths, understanding what we're feeling in our body. And then we begin to offer our vulnerability. Um, we offer, we practice. So the first um, exercise that we normally do is we'll have them stand, uh, I don't know, maybe about 12 feet apart, okay, face to face. And then what they do is we begin an argument. So there's always an argument, right? There's always one or two things that we always fight about this. And Dr. Gottman says 70% of marriage arguments are unresolvable, mm -hmm. right? So it's not about resolving the argument. It's about how we connect within the argument, mm -hmm. right? How do we do intimacy? So they're standing about 12 feet apart. And as they begin to argue, we have them take a step forward if they feel closer or take a step back if they feel further, mm -hmm. right? And so we, we tell them we, we're doing this with our body physically because we're trying to uh, mirror what's happening internally, and we actually begin to do, that's our first exercise we normally do. And the goal is closeness. And what we normally do, and after the, our first session is, you know, they're across the room with each other, kind of on the opposite of the room, mm -hmm. because they don't know how to connect in the disagreement. They get mm -hmm. triggered, they shut down. But then we slowly go into the triggers. Okay, what happened for you? What are you feeling in your body? Oh, and we practice. So many times, if the man is not wise with the heart, um, we have to coach. We have to, okay, what would it mean, you know, to say this, to engage this way? Mm -hmm. Why did you become defensive in that moment? What's being triggered in you? And that's where we slowly begin to kind of undo this toxic style of relating that, that has happened. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think sometimes we step in because we get triggered seeing our partner across the room and we don't know how to articulate what's going on inside but it's amazing that we expect each other to touch and physically connect when we watch couples and they cannot even get close enough in the room to each other by talking. And so that's really important is, is that you're putting a lot of expectation on yourself to be intimate when you really can't even have a conversation where the other one feels understood. There's so much that was going through my mind as you share that, because I can imagine the depth of work that would happen for a couple. I imagine that when people come to that place, they have to be ready to do the work. They have to both have to be consenting to, to do that kind of work. Definitely. That's why we charge a lot of money. And that doesn't often happen, right? I mean, people come and they get triggered and they get angry and they haven't done the individual work. And so that's why it's hugely important to offer um, like an ask for them to do their own individual work. Yeah. And many times mid marriage intensive, we almost have to press pause on yeah. dealing with the marriage because right. Abuse is not a marriage issue, right? Um, 
people who haven't done any type of work and on their own story, that's not a marriage issue. That's an individual issue. And if you're not healthy, right. you have to be at a baseline health to even do marriage work. Right. That's why we screen, you know, all of our people and that come because it's like, yeah, I don't want to waste my time, waste your money. Like we've got stuff to do. We've got like, we've got work to do and it, it's like surgery. So we, we literally say you're coming to the ER and what's the level, like what's the health of your marriage. Um, and it's, you know, we call it the marriage soul. So as long as you've been married, that was the first thing you created. That was the first baby, the first child you had. So if you've been married for 18 years, you have an 18 year old. What is the health of that 18 year old as it comes into our office today? And we see a wide variety of, of conditions. I imagine, but, but what I hear over and over again is do your own work first. But oftentimes people don't know that they, what's happening in the marriage is, is something that's me, my story that is impacting it, the marriage. I don't feel safe to share this part of my story and I don't, um, I don't feel safe to do it and I, I don't know how to do it. I don't know how. I'm afraid of addressing the sexual trauma because I feel like I did something wrong and that's why it's happening and maybe that's what's happening in the marriage now. Um, so it, it, there's so much. Um, and when we're told that, and I don't know if, if you see this or how we speak to that, that lots of marriages break down due to sex and money. And if sexual trauma causes intimacy in marriage, then there's a whole chain of things that we need to deal with before we. Do you want to take it? You want me to take it? That's right. Okay. I mean, that's, I'm like, that's your wheelhouse. <clears throat> so who we are financially is who we are in every area of life. Who we are sexually is who we are in every area of life. So if you have uh, secrets with money and you hide money from your spouse, you're most likely going to have some type of hidden sexuality, porn use, right? Secret affairs. Like you're going to live in secrets, right? Who we are, like these, these, you know, money and sex are the two of the biggest things that indicators of who we are. So we talk about money. We talk about sex every single um, time we work with these couples because there's huge indicators of, of who we are. It comes out. We can't hide who we are. Um, so yeah, that we, we, we address that right away because it's such indicators of health, right? And so that can be the doorway sometimes into your story. Well, tell me about your story of money. Tell me about the time you were first exposed to pornography. What was your you know, what did your parents teach you about sexuality? What did they not? Okay. So porn was your mentor. Porn taught you how to have sex. Okay. What is the difference between healthy sexuality and porn sex? What, like, we got to talk about this. We have to undo, unlearn and, and reparent kind of that broken orphan place in us. Mm -hmm. You mentioned porn, which is a, a, another big topic in marriage, but a very also taboo topic in marriage. How does porn use impact a marriage? What are some of the ways that that affects a marriage? So many, so <laughs> many ways. Um, yeah, I'm, I think porn starts a mindset that whoever is using it will not learn how to be in relationship with another human mm -hmm. because you're not in relationship with pornography. You're in relationship with yourself and your own arousal structure and you're creating arousal structure 
that doesn't connect with another human being. So it's not, you're not asking that person that you're consuming how they felt today. How's their body doing? What's their history? What they, what do they need? You know, if I, I come home as a human and I've had a hard day or I've engaged really hard information or I've had a fight with my children or I, whatever I'm feeling, there's space for me to say my humanity to come alongside and say, I'm not in a place of being aroused or wanting pleasure because I need to talk about what's happening for me. And so I think porn sets us up where you're never learning to have those conversations. You're never learning how to connect. And so because of that, it sadly sets us up to have terrible sex. Yeah. What, what I call that is, is a pornographic style of relating. Yeah. And so porn creates first a pornographic mindset. So we have a certain mindset, but then that leads to a style of relating to the world that porn teaches us. So quick pleasure, selfishness, devour rather than honor all these categories. Um, and that was true in my own life and my own 13 year addiction to porn. And as I grew out of adolescence and became a man and began to date Christy, realizing, Oh, I am not ready for a real relationship. I I'm, I'm much more comfortable with fantasy. I'm much more comfortable with objectifying than honoring. Mm -hmm. I'm much more comfortable with these toxic ways of relating. And that was, you know, very difficult in our early years of, of marriage, early years of dating, of me beginning to undo what I had been doing for so long. The undoing, the undoing, you said, what has been happening for so long. And as you talk, Dr. Christian, I'm listening. There are men who says, well, at least I'm not having an affair. I'm only using porn. I mean, that if we want to live at that level, then I don't know if you're matched up with the right person. I mean, that just, it sounds so sad. I would never look at my boys and hope that that would be all they want in life is that, okay, well, at least if I'm not acting out, at least if I'm not uh, sleeping with someone else, cheating on my partner, I, I want so much more for them. And I think that's because we've degraded what we can attain in a sexual history with someone. Well, in longevity of sexuality, where we can actually reach and what we're creating and building in sex and in pleasure. I think we, we short side that. And, and then we have these very, very minimal, very small goals for people. I, I, I want my boys. I want my, my daughter. I want them to experience a full sexual life. I want them to create incredible stories with their sex life. And that does not give any room for them to have really low expectations like, well, at least I'm not with someone else. Right. Um, and not only is it infidelity and it's an affair, but it's like a shallow affair, right? It's just, right, healthy sex is an integration of our bodies, of our hearts, of our smell, of our taste, touch, fullness, right? Fullness of what it means to be human, whereas porn offers such a limited view of sexuality through sight, through sound, but it like does not integrate the fullness of actual mutuality, giving and receiving of pleasure. There's no mutuality. It's completely selfish. And so it teaches us these selfish ways of being. Um, but yes, as far as affair, as far as cheating, you can lie to yourself all you want, but you are literally using other women, using other people um, to to have a sexuality that's that's literally based on um, degrading 
the other humanity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, you describe the way you describe intimacy just now, and I and I completely agree with you know um the degrading the it it's it's shallow and it speaks to a deeper issue I believe of um what else is going on for the person who is using porn in that way. But the way you when you speak about intimacy just now of the the full integration of our bodies and a, and a full um, sexual life. And I'm, I can't help thinking about my community and some of the women that I talk to and intimacy is not talked about in that way or taught in that way. And so many don't know how to, what even that looks like or what that means and how to, and I'm hoping that if you're watching this on your own, get your husband to watch it with you, get your, get your partner to watch it with you. Because in, in some cultures, um, Andrew and Dr. Christie, sex is a, a chore. It's something that you have to do when you go to um, kitchen tea. Sometimes in some cultures it's called where, you know, you're getting married and the party that you have before the wedding. And the, the term that we use escapes me right now. It's the way my brain is at the moment. But it's, you're getting lots of education around how to please your husband. And there's no way where that conversation talks about sex as being full-bodied experience. How do we, how, explain a little bit more for me, for the woman who is watching going, what does she mean <laughs> by a full-bodied experience? And how, how do I have that? How do we? How do we... So much of sex, especially where we come from in the evangelical church, is coming through the male lens right? It's coming from uh, the male gaze. It's coming from, it, it's funneled through male pleasure, male orgasm. Like it's, 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 it's geared towards men and pleasing men. So it's, it's about men rather than like, actually healthy sexuality is based on mutuality. Well, what about the woman's pleasure? What about, you know, her orgasm? What about her connection with you? Like, it's got, and I think that's why porn has hijacked so much of our sexuality. Um, and many times the church is much more porn-like than Christ-like, right? Where it's actually preaching a pornographic view of beauty rather than actual mutual love. Yeah. And there are many cultures, many cultures that think... Um, They've been overridden by, by again, a sort of a, a rapist mentality. And that's the sad part of, about all of this. And yet you do see places like a Jewish culture where the law of Ona would say that the woman is in charge of, she leads by her pleasure, by her arousal cycle. And that to learn the divine, we must learn the arousal cycle of the female. Well, that takes a lot longer, usually, to understand and unpack someone's emotions, someone's story. So when someone's body feels safe enough, feels um, risky enough, feels brave enough to feel pleasure and then to share it with the other. And so if we're studying the female body, you know, we might need to spend the next couple of decades with the female's arousal cycle as what we research and what we study. Um, And so, you know. I know culturally and particularly like Andrew was saying in the church, that is not something that is in, is encouraged. And yet I talk a lot about the fact that the, the clitoris, the, the female has an organ that was given to her solely for pleasure. 
It's it's the size of an eraser head and it has more nerve endings than the head of the penis. 10,000. God is telling us something in the female's body and something about God's belief mm -hmm. about female's pleasure that we have to pay attention to. It, it's very clear just in, in her body. And, and so I think that's just something we've, we want to overlook because it is taboo or because we know we will be overruled. And when women know that they don't have a way out, then they, they concede and they find a way out. And so it becomes marital, it becomes marital rape. It becomes places where they, in their mind, tell themselves, this is what I have to do. And it, they're actually, they know they're going to lose because they know they're not in a partnership where mutuality is going to be invited. There's so much that, that you, you said, so much that you said, listen to it slow and go back and listen again. The, you talked about, Andrew, um, sex being taught through the male lens. I completely, so much of it um, is through the male lens, their pleasure, what, what they feel. And then Dr. Christie, you talk about the female arousal cycle. Um, and I've I, I never heard that, but I want a woman who is listening to begin to study her body and to learn. And maybe the conversation then can change in, in your marriage, in your relationship. If you notice that something is wrong, then maybe you can look at these two things and thought, wh which lens did we learn about sex through? And what's my arousal cycle? Maybe I need to learn about, about a little bit more about that, um, that part of myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, well said. I just want to add this. <clears throat> when you throw in that one in three women have some type of experience with sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. This is where female pleasure becomes distorted and I believe hijacked by evil, right? Because if you have experienced a type of sexual abuse, many times you turn against your own body. Mm -hmm. You make war with your own pleasure yep. because maybe your genitals felt something in the abuse and you're like, well, wait, 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 why? Then that's really only because your genitals worked. That, that doesn't mean you enjoyed it. It doesn't mean you, so, so many times women war with their own body, war yes. with their own pleasure because of the history of abuse. And so you can't even learn how to enjoy pleasure because it's associated with, with such pain and heartache. I completely agree with that. And when I do groups for women who are healing from sexual abuse and say that bit, it's so, it changes so much for so many because your body responds because it was created to respond but it's also connected to pain. And so the part pleasure is connected to pain. And then that means I've done something wrong. And there's something about me that, that um, something must be wrong with me intrinsically. Then that means I cannot function. And so what, what I hear and what I've always shared is that sometimes we're triggered at that time. We're triggered. Women sometimes are triggered in intimacy. And I'm not sure if, I think I read this in, when I was reading how to, how to not be an ass, that when you talk about the, the pornographic style of relating, I, have to, I, I always smile when I say the topic, the title of the, your book. But um, a lot of women don't know that, that I'm being triggered. And again, the relationship is not safe enough to say, can you stop? I'm being triggered. Can we talk about this or give me some time? There's a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, a lot of stuff that comes as a result when she's not free, safe enough to say, I'm triggered, please stop. Yeah. Do you, Christy, would you mind sharing the story of trauma uh, briefly in your own body of losing our son, Brave, but then in re-engaging sex 
um, after that horrific loss we sure. suffered. Yeah. So I, I also, bef before I share that story, would just say it's interesting because women stop believing in their bodies and they stop trusting it, or they just get deflated in a sense of like, there's no hope. And so then I think also a partner, like a husband might feel that too, particularly if you're married to a, a good man who's foolish and doesn't know because the church um, is leading with a patriarchal and objectifying lens women then feel that oppression. So even if their own husbands didn't do anything to them, they feel the weight of being oppressed. That does not lead our bodies to want to have pleasure or explore pleasure or invite people to it because you feel defeated by the society that you're a part of. And, and so I, I just want to say that that also could be something for women that they might feel. Um, but in, in our story, particularly trauma was a huge part of of our story when we lost our son and i think the story you're alluding to is it wasn't necessarily after there was so much grief after we buried our firstborn but i later um in our marriage had a, a miscarriage and i had a dnc and i remember when after that surgery and losing the baby it was a, it was a while after, but Andrew was approaching me. He wanted to have sex. And I really immediately felt in my body. The last thing that entered me was tools and forceps to remove our child from my body. That, that place, my vaginal canal in a sense was the Via Dolorosa. It was a place where I had known grief and suffering. And so then to have my husband in a kind way and in a, a patient way, say like, how do we re-engage pleasure and sex after this? It was so confusing for me to figure out what words I needed to say, but I needed to say something. I needed him to understand where I had last gone in my mind and heart, in my body, um, before he was going to be invited to enter that. I needed him to know me before he could even know me physically. And I, I think that's just a really important piece for us to explain is that when we have trauma in the body, it's not fair for us to think in our minds, well, me as a woman, it would not have been kind for me to say, oh, I need to just be aroused and I need to move into pleasure if that's not what I was feeling. And I, my body was telling me that's not what I was feeling. I need my partner to know what he's being invited into. And in, and in that, she is inviting me to know her, which is intimacy, right? And so we can't view sex as just merely intercourse. We can't view sex as just orgasm. We have to have a wider definition of what sex is, of it is to know and to be known, yeah. right? That is the essence of and what we actually long for, right? Because the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's connection. And so what we long for is connectivity. We long to be connected with our partners. And if we just make it about orgasm, we it's such a shallow pornographic view of sex. The opposite of addiction is connection. Not, thank you so much for sharing that, Dr. Christie. That I know is going to be such a freeing piece for a lot and lot of women who don't understand what is going on in their bodies. And I'm hoping it's going to help a couple to be able to talk about connection again and, and how to re-engage. I wrote, how, I wrote um, sex is not the problem, love is, um, how to help 
things that uh, somebody, who, a woman who has experienced sexual trauma, wish their husband knows, and talk a lot about connection and attachment and um, and that whole that whole story that's going on that she wants to share, that she wants to talk about in order in order to connect. But uh, that's what I hear running all the way through our conversation this afternoon is about connection. It's it's about connections, but our stories and how we share our stories and whether or not we're safe enough to, to share the story and what can we do to help. Now, I'm going to ask you as we wrap up, and I know you have something that's happening on Wednesday that I would love our audience to know about because I know that there are people who will benefit. What, what can they do at home, beginning to do, if, they, if the conversation has never been about sex before, if they've never talked about it, but they know, everybody knows it's an issue, but they've never talked about it before. How can a couple begin to have that honest conversation to move their relation towards that, the depth of intimacy that you've shared here today? You want to take it? Well, I was thinking, I was like, you are always so good at bringing the exercises that need to happen. But I, mm -hmm. I think what we, what I would circle back to is eye to eye contact, because really what we're trying to explain to people is humanity is lost when we don't hold someone's eyes. And so we can make a lot of assumptions about our partner when they're talking, if we're not really concentrating on seeing them, right? We can hear our own thoughts louder than what they're actually saying. We can hear our belief systems. We can just not be in a place of curiosity. But I, I think eye contact is one thing we would really encourage. Mm -hmm. I mean, what we eventually encourage couples to do is to try to, to have sex, have intercourse and orgasm with eye contact while holding eye contact. And basically it's it, but you don't start there. You start at just holding eye contact when you're speaking to each other. And so I think that's one practice that could be really helpful. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. <clears throat> Basically, we encourage what's called a slow startup. Yeah. Um, Dr. Gottman's marriage research says the way an argument starts is the way an argument finishes. And so if you start high intensity, you start being defensive and reactive. Well, that's how it's going to end. So we start a, a slow startup. Hey, babe, are you in a good place to um, I, I have a complaint? Are you in a good place to hear it? Right. And then you connect slowly, make sure you're in a good place. No, I'm busy right now. How about lunch? I got some free time. We can sit and talk about it. Okay, great. We talk about it eye to eye. We engage the conflict and you can get mad and be angry at each other. Anger is actually beautiful and great. How do you do it well? How do you have clean anger? And how do you be angry without being aggressive towards each other, without talking down to each other? you know, keeping that, that respect towards each other. And so we learn how to fight in a clean way, but you've, you've got to be first, you got to be authentic. You got to be real. Um, so many people are hiding and so many women, especially that I work with are hiding because their man is insecure. Their right. man is a grown child mm -hmm. and they're literally hiding mm -hmm. um, and catering to his insecurity. And that's just the worst. It makes me want to scream because they're literally losing their own health for the sake of someone unhealthy. That's that that is way. That's a lot you said there. The 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 insecurity, the grown child. There's just like so much growth that needs to happen. But one of the things that has run through um, what Andrew and Dr. Christie has talked about is intimacy, connection. Uh, that uh, will take you to a deeper place, a deeper place in your relationship. 
they have a program coming up on Wednesday that it's online. Do you want to tell us about that program and where people can find Yes, it's a one-day workshop um, and on April 5th. And we are just going to, it'll be live. And then if you buy, if you buy the ticket to go to it, it'll be a download that can come to you if you're not there to make it during the actual time. But basically we're going to walk through what it means to co-create as a couple. And so what Andrew alluded to earlier is that we believe that every relationship, every marriage is the first thing you create together. It's the first soul. It's the first child. And then we look at the health of that marriage, that child. Um, how do you tend to it? And then we, we kind of begin to unpack what it means to co-create. And we b believe that sexuality is part of co-creating. You co-create pleasure, you co-create safety. Um, and we're just going to go into that in detail of what it looks like for a couple step-by-step step to kind of look at the, both of their individual styles of coming to relationship and then what they co-create when they're together, how they trigger each other, how they invite each other. Um, and and mm -hmm. we're going to walk through and allow couples to kind of workshop their own relationship and their own style of co-creating. Yeah. So a lot of the stuff we talked about today, just be in, in a deeper in a deeper way, we'll go into it more fully. It's called co-create, um, cultivating an alive, authentic, lasting partnership. And you can sign up on Eventbrite um, and buy the tickets, social media. social media, buy tickets there um, to be a part of that or to get the recording if you can't attend live. But we'll do a lot of Q&A as well. And it'll be about five hours over the course of the day. Thank you. You know, my husband's not is in a different time zone to me at the moment. So I don't know how that is. He's in the Caribbean. So he is five. No, he gets back on Wednesday, actually. But I don't know what time it will be for us. So maybe we'll, we'll have to get the replay because this sounds like something that I'd want to I'd want to um to co the, the co-create um, to do together. It sounds really fun. Um, if you set, um, I'll go on Facebook, get the link, put it below this this um, this video as well, so people can click on the link and go and find out more about how to become cl more closely connected as a couple. And I think that's the I think that's the aim. And uh, as I'm as I'm listening, as I'm thinking, I think we can have joy and pleasure, as we read in the in when we read your bio, in our relationships, in our marriages, and we can heal our stories so that when we come together, we can have a home can be a happy place for everybody. And our sex lives don't have to be mechanical, um, boring even, or duty, a chore, and all those things that it feels so destroying to me. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Christie and Andrew, for coming and, and for sharing with our community. I hope that this won't be I hope this won't be the last time. We'll no. see you at Wounds to Scars. Um, we do so much here in terms of retreat and conferences. Um, I wanted to do a retreat just around sexual trauma. I'm praying about that and about what that might look like. Maybe we should do it for couples. We'll see. Um, and we'll see how we make that work for people to grow deeper. Thank you so much for joining me in this episode of Stories That Shape Us. Thank you. I hope you'll join me on the next story. Yes. Thank you, Joy. Thank you for listening to Stories That Shape Us with Joanna Daniel. To learn more about Wounds to Scars and the work that we do with adult survivors of childhood trauma and women who experience abuse, you can visit our website at woundstoscars.com.